Hello and welcome to The Beautiful Game, a series exploring personal improvement and resiliency through interviews with soccer coaches from around the world. Beautiful Game is brought to you by Weasels FC, a brand for the tenacious, quick-witted, and occasionally underestimated. I am your host, Tony Niccolo. Join me as we learn to live, work, and play better with more confidence, resilience, and success. So I'm here today with Nathan Thackeray, who's an assistant coach with the North Carolina Courage, director of goalkeeping with North Carolina FC youth teams. He was a performer, professional goalkeeper with Bradford City in England. They've won back-to-back NWSL championships with North Carolina Courage the last couple of years, clean sheets in both finals. NWSL Shield the last three years, which is uh, awarded to the regular season champions. And they also won the recent ICC tournament against UEFA Champions League holders Lyon, again with a clean sheet. So you, you must be proud as a, as a goalkeeping coach. Welcome, Nathan. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Great introduction, by the way. Makes me feel like I won all those things, but actually had very little to do with it. It was more more on the more on the group of players and the rest of the staff, to be honest. So, extremely proud to be part of it. But it's something that I'll hold on to forever. So it's uh, it's been a great well, first three years in North Carolina that I've that I've spent with the courage and with the the youth program. So, um, hopefully, moving forward, we have got a little bit more success to follow. But we'll, we shall see. We'll talk about that success and, and your role in it and, and to some of your players and, and your fellow coaching staff in a minute. We start off the podcast with a question about weasels. We're sponsored by a brand called Weasels FC. And so we'd like to know what you think of the animal uh, weasel. It's funny because the when you first make contact and, I, and I'm thinking weasel, weasels FC and, I'm, and for me coming from England, a weasel, if you call somebody a weasel, it's not a good, it's not a good thing. It's like someone that's like sneaky and gets into things and causes trouble. And you say, hey, come on, stop being a weasel. And <laughs> so it makes me feel like I'm not sure where the, where the name comes from. I actually don't know too much about the animal, if I'm honest. So maybe you can enlighten me on <laughs> what, what the role of the weasel is. Yeah, they're definitely an underestimated animal, who, and there's uh, some negative connotation there. But we like that bit of cheekiness uh, around the negative connotation. They're a really uh, tenacious, quick-witted animal. And I think that some of that pejorative sense of the weasel comes from the fact that they will, in the wild, you know, kill you, move into your house. You know, the same way that uh, a fox can be sly, they they just don't necessarily get a positive reputation for their for their intelligence and tenaciousness. But yeah, so as a football coach and as a as a player, you must have been pretty excited to be around Brian Robson when you were playing at Bradford City. It was great because obviously I'm also a big Manchester United fan as well. So I was just starstruck the first time I ever met him, and the fact that he was the he was the first team coach or manager, as they call him in England at the time. Unfortunately, didn't get to spend as much time as what I would have liked to. I was very young at that stage, and Bradford City were going through a bad spell when I first joined them, and he actually ended up losing his position only a few months after I joined them. So not as much time. And I was still part of the youth setup in those moments. So not as much time to spend with a, an absolute legend of the game. And especially as a, as a Manchester United fan and coming from a family of, of Manchester United fans as well, 
obviously starstruck the first time you you speak to him and very few words spoken between the two of us because you just don't know what to say even though he's the gaffer and he was you know as, as I remember very humble and very down to earth still starstruck by a soccer legend or a footballing legend. What do you see in players who are who are legends that are able to make the transition into being a gaffer in terms of teaching and and how they approach the role? For me it's if you're someone who's been been a player and you've gone from playing as a young player to making it as a professional, there has to be an element of respect there because they've done something or are doing something that you are aspiring to be. And going through the system as a youth player and knowing how hard it is, especially in England, and how hard it is to make it to the highest level. So there's an immediate respect value between between two people. I think that makes the transition into coaching easier because automatically it's, all right, I want to listen to whatever they're saying because they know they they know what's what's the right thing to do. They've listened to the best. They they've learned from the best. So automatically, you want to hear what they have to say. You want to follow their leadership. So I think the respect is the first thing, and it's purely out of the fact that they have been there and they have done it, and they've worked tirelessly to get there. And knowing how hard it is to get to that level puts them in good stead when going into a management role. But not all great players make great coaches. We can probably name some other Manchester United legends who, oh, yeah. <laughs> who yeah. aren't, aren't as great of coaches. What's the difference um, in terms of that you've observed anyway, in terms of that transition and the difference in approach required from being a great player to being a great manager? I think when you go into somewhere, and if you look at sort of Ole Gunnar at the, at the minute, and he's and he's gone into that role and... And it's a massive, massive role to step into. And I think every he has the respect of everybody from what he's done previously as a player. There's no doubt about it. His tough part, part now is how does he transition to get the respect from everybody from a coaching standpoint? And that comes back to his knowledge of the game and his ability to apply his knowledge of the game within the group setting. And if players immediately can see that he has a genuine knowledge and an ability to apply it within the group, that's the first piece where transitioning from a coach to a player is so important. If you look at Frank Lampard, who's now doing it at Chelsea, and he had a, had success right away with Derby, had a great season with a team that almost went up in the Premier League. He's having a good season with Chelsea. And he's had he's got the ability to take his knowledge that he's learned as a player, apply it to the way he wants to coach, and now lead his team by doing so, I think that's a, a massive piece for anybody who wants to try and transition from the coach to the player without getting found out in between. Because like you said, there are some that get found out. They take, they ride the coattails of being an elite-level soccer player f- forever. And unfortunately, at some stage, they get found out because they don't have the ability to adapt and change to what the new player needs and what the coach has to deliver. Well, let's talk about your own transition. If you follow... Nathan Thackeray on Twitter. You'll know that he's prolific there, approaching 3,000 tweets. But one of the things that becomes apparent in your Twitter feed, in particularly from from images and, and just the things that you post, is that there seems to be that you have a genuine joy in coaching and and in your job and and so how did you how did you make the transition how did you know you wanted to be a coach and and what tips do you have for people in general around finding a career that you that you love i've always been involved in the game so it's been it's it's been a massive part of my life for goodness 30 years 
I've quickly realised that I wasn't good enough as a player to, to maintain a career as a professional soccer player. But I knew I wanted to be involved in the game in some capacity. And the next best thing for me from playing was, do I have the ability to be a coach? One of the reasons that I've maintained being a goalkeeper coach is, is the relationships you were able to build. And I've always been a, a relationship person, someone that gets along with people quite easily. And I enjoy meeting new people and building connections and trying to help others move in the right direction. And I think my role that I keep, one, as a goalkeeper coach within the pro setting, which allows you to get a little bit closer to the individual, but secondly, as a director within the youth club, that allows me to see the progress that people make and your ability to build the relationships and watch people grow. And that is the is the best part of coaching for me, is seeing how people are able to develop over time, enjoy the process throughout. So it's that for me is, is the essential part of coaching. The on-field stuff I obviously absolutely love, but it's how do we impact all these individuals along the way that really keeps me coming back every day. I would say that that's the other thing that's that's really comes through on your social media is how supportive you are of your players and and it really does appear that you've got a great relationship with them both both the youth players and and the professional goalkeepers and field players as well. How do you build such a, a familial culture in a competitive environment? I just think you have to put your put yourself out there. You have to put yourself in in people's faces, you know. If, for instance, I turn up on a, in, a, in the pro environment on a daily training session and I'm wanting to get something back from one of the goalkeepers or wanting to get something back from one of the field players, then I put myself in front of them, talk to them, break stuff down, maybe don't talk soccer, we talk something else, speak about their family, speak about uh, how their day has been, what they've got planned for the rest of the week, what they've done over the weekend, so on and so forth. Um, and it's really more to get to know the person than the actual soccer player um, because ultimately the person is going to be the one that has the biggest impact on our lives as coaches and we're going to have a lasting relationship if we can if we can build a true relationship person to person rather than coach to player um, and I believe that through not just the pro side but the youth side as well it's you know I, I always like to greet people with a with a smile whether you're a, a U11 player or a U19 player I greet you with a smile I try and greet you by your name as we have a lot of players in, the, in our youth club that's very difficult to know them all but just the ability to say hello to them uh, smile nod the head high five well before two and a half weeks ago you could give high fives but I think that just a human relationship is for me, the biggest the biggest part of being able to build a rapport with youth, pro, whatever it may be, inside and outside of soccer. And you seem to have combined that culture, but with a sustainable culture, where you know you've won three NWSL shields, you've got a pathway for youth players. How do you sustain that culture? So you build the relationships, but then it seems like you use things like mantras, you know, no finish line, junkyard dogs, to keep everyone on the team and within the culture focused on, on the goals in front of you. So how do you, you know, how, how do you, once you've built that culture, how do you sustain it and, and keep it a, as a winning culture and, and end up with an environment where you can say things like the locker room fixes it and you, and you really do have leaders within the culture? Paul Riley is a very philosophical coach, probably the most that I've ever I've ever worked with. 
And he's the one that is the, really the driving force behind how the staff buy in. But ultimately, it's the, the, the locker room are the ones that set the standards. They're the ones that set, set the way they work every day, uh, how driven they are. We guide it, but they're the they're the enforcers. They're the ones that are really pushing. You look at some of the leaders, and I've, I've spoke about this previously, uh, but you look at some of the leaders on uh, in that locker room, you look at an Abby Ursic and the way she works every single day, her mentality to be better every single day. Um, we had, we lost a, a fantastic leader in McCall Zaboni, who's gone to uh, gone to Sky Blue, another person that was driven by getting better, and everybody else saw the way these true leaders worked, and they followed suit very quickly, and the ones that didn't fell off just as quickly. So to be honest, we've not had many instances where people haven't come into that locker room and in that environment and, and said, all right, I see what I see what the culture is. And the culture's it's it's, it's a strong word, right? And but ultimately you have to be able to define it. And I think the way we define our culture is the way we are, what we do, uh, who we want to be. And I think when people step inside that locker room they 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 can define what it is straight away and know that if you want to be part of this group and you want to move forward with us, then you have to buy into our culture. So, but it's driven by driven by the players, guided by Paul and the rest of the co- coaching staff, and it's been something that's changed my approach to coaching and the way I think about leading players and leading staff. Certainly, but it's it's a very very strong connection and network that we have within that group. So, would you say in in building and sustaining a culture? You have to do both. It's not sufficient to just sort of live a culture and it's not sufficient to just write it down. You've got to do both of those things where you live the culture, but you also communicate what it is. Yeah, it's I mean, it's every, it's every day. It's everything that you do, right? It's You don't take a moment off for what we do. It's, I just think about the way we train and there isn't there, there are no off moments. By every moment that you're aware on the field, everybody's switched on, tuned in to what we're trying to achieve on that given day moving forward. And it's not about achieving to win a championship or achieving to win on a weekend. Our achievement is, are we better at the end of the training session than we were at the start of the training session? And that's ultimately it. And that's one of the biggest messages is we have to continue to develop along the process and along the journey. Some stages we won't, and we know that. You know, it's like two years ago when we we were almost undefeated. We were what thirty seconds away from going the entire season being undefeated, and that that wasn't the talking point. It was have we got better as a group? And then even when we came back to the start of this season, and it was we've just gone, we've won two championships, three shields in a row. But it was how do we maintain a certain mentality that says we're still an underdog and we still have to fight for something and it's not fighting for championships because if it's only fighting for championships then we've already done it and we've seen it but it's not now it's fighting to get better that's a big piece of what what the group's about and within that context you know last year you had three different starting keepers how do you how do you manage them when they're very clearly in that role more than any other they're they're competing with each other but they're also teammates trying to to achieve together you know, I, I think about it in the context of if you're if you're managing a sales organization, you know, you've got three different salespeople who are all trying to be the top. They're incentivized financially to to reach the top, and it's very similar when you're when you've got 
three goalkeepers. So how how do you how do you manage them and and keep them motivated through the ups and downs? It's tough. It, it, it's it is really tough. But the the three that we've got do a f- phenomenal job. And there's obviously only one person that's going to play on a weekend. For the most part, you have a number one goalkeeper throughout the season. But what's clear always, and the messages that we always give is, if we don't, if the other two don't push every single day, then that one won't get better. And if that one doesn't continue to push those other two, those other two won't get better. The message is, is we always have to be able to, one, compete and, and really give each other hell and make sure that we're trying to push and push and push each other but the other piece is that you have to support that as well and knowing that what's best for the team at this given time is that this goalkeeper plays they have to buy into the fact that this goalkeeper's playing but know that they need to work in a way that is that is unrivaled to try and earn a spot to play in that team as well so it's difficult I like to think we keep them motivated throughout purely by the way that we the way we train, the approach to training every day is very, very similar. Uh, and the competition between the, the three is phenomenal. We have the seasoned pro in Steph, who's been there and done it, worn the T-shirt and is, what, I think 30-something and probably moving into the twilight of her career, but still has, has a, a mindset of, I want to be the best. I want to do everything extra that I can. I want to learn new things and adapt them to my game and see if I can progress there. We have a young goalkeeper in Sam Murphy, was Leshnik, now now Sam Murphy, she just got married, so who's learning how to be a professional. She's gone from the college game, had one season with us, and she's learning how to treat herself as a professional, go away and do the right things, have a eight-month season, not a four-month season, make sure that she's in every day with the same attitude to get better because she knows as soon as she walked through the door, we said to her, I I had no visions that she would play last year at all. And and she knew that and we spoke about it. And that year was all about her uh, learning and getting better, uh, learning from the other two goalkeepers, learning from the rest of of the team and the coaching staff so that over time we could make sure that she was ready at any given moment. Fortunately for her, she did get opportunities to play. Her time at the start is about learning to be a professional in this league. And then we have a goalkeeper that's smack bang in the middle who obviously wants to play and wants to compete for a spot all the time, has learned how to be a pro, has been successful in this league as a professional and knows that there's another goalkeeper there that's pushing her every single day, but has a fantastic attitude to wanting what's best for the group, whether it be our small group and just the four of us or whether it be the entire team, she knows that she has to do what's best for them. And that's her best asset. So really three very different goalkeepers in three different stages of their career that are all buying into their own way and their own path. So it's, it's been brilliant to work with, testing at times, but, but also fantastic to work with. Just from a positional standpoint, you know, the goalkeeper is the only person on the field that can't make a mistake. But if you add to that, you're not starting at the weekend, even though you trained really hard all week, you're returning from injury, you know, all of the things that, that players and in particular goalkeepers go through. How do you teach them resilience and, and other mental skills to be able to, to handle the position? It's really tough. And any, any interview that I've done, any podcast, any coaching course that I've ever taken, I've always stepped up and said, listen, I, I, I am not a psychology major. I don't know I don't know how the brain works. I don't know really how the individual work. My best way to do it is to make sure that, that they know 
that I'm invested in them and to try and encourage them to keep an investment in themselves. And if they continue to invest in themselves, they're always going to want what's best for themselves. From that standpoint, I, I think that's enough for them to keep coming back and keep wanting more. But honestly, I, I don't know what, what makes the brain work. I don't know what says, I don't know whether it's the, the, the natural competitiveness of, a, of an athlete that says, right, well, I'm going to come back and I'm going to do more. I'm going to give more because I want to be better. Or if it's, they're just coming back to come back. I, I honestly don't know what the answer is, but I can tell you that the, the personal investment that I've put in, the investment that the rest of the coaching staff has put into them and the investment that their team puts in on a daily basis, because player number one on the roster doesn't train any differently to play player number 19 on the roster. The different levels of soccer players, they don't have a different mentality. They don't train in a different way. One's more skilled than the other, but they come with the same approach. That investment makes the individual better as you look at it holistically, for sure. So without diving into the neuroscience of, of it, you've still said that, that you believe that there's a massive gap between even sort of top collegiate players and the professional level, and that that gap is especially apparent in terms of mentality. And, and so what are those differences in mentality that you've observed? I mean, I can, I can give you an example. So with, with Sam Murphy, who's just come, just come in last year, last year was her first year as a professional. She'd gone from being starter on her at University of North Carolina. She came into our environment and the first meeting we had, I sat down with her because I've known, I've known her for a couple of years. We'd monitored her, we'd watched her and, and seen her grow as a goalkeeper. And my first thing I sat down, I said, your role is going to be very different coming into here as it would as it would have been at UNC we don't need you to be that person we need you to be a new person not a new person someone who's developing and adapting to professional life so whether it's the way you take care of yourself on and off the field the diet you maintain the sleep patterns that you maintain your willingness to do more your willingness to recover properly just being an ultimate professional that's the biggest piece and it's in the professional game, you don't really get babysat like you do in the college piece. You know, you go you go to school, you, your teachers are checking up on you all the time, your coaches check up on you all the time, your fitness coach checks up on you all the time, you have your own room, mum and dad look after you, whatever it may be. Then they come into the pro environment and it's, well, we'll do everything we can to make sure that you're in the best environment and that we're giving you everything we can. But we're not going to babysit you. You have to be... You have to be your own person and you have to be your own professional. And Sam won't mind me telling you, but first, the first few weeks of, of her joining us was rough. She missed a couple of training sessions just because she wasn't switched on fully with, with, with where the calendar was at. She wore the wrong shirt to a game day. Um, so little things like that, just attention to detail that she just needed to get better at. And she has got better at it. And she's a completely different person and a goalkeeper than she was 12 months ago as she is today. So... There is time. Players have to learn about going from a college collegiate player into a into a professional player. But really, for me, it's it's the details, the accountability that you have for yourself, um, and then the mentality of how you approach each and every day that really make the transition easier for those. I think there's there's a valuable lesson there for for any employer who's you know who's making hires, uh, young hires of, of people just out of school that. Yeah, you want to hold them accountable, and and but you also have to have a little bit of patience that you you have a responsibility to to train them as well. Absolutely, because I, we'll, I talk about process and, and Paul Riley. This is something that that he uh, 
ingrained in all of us in the process is is the most important part. And I know that that that, that particular goalkeeper's process is going to be different to someone who's five years further along, like a Caitlin Rowland is. She's five years further in her development and her pathway. And there's going to be moments where the, it changes and she, she does something well or does something wrong. Um, but ultimately, every step along the way is a learning moment for her. So whether it's forgetting to, to wear the, the right T-shirt on a game day, she's learned a lesson from that and she's going to be able to apply it now to her regular, regular life to make sure that she doesn't make the same mistake again. You mentioned Caitlin Rowland and she's spoken about how much you have helped her develop both from you know the relationship you've built with her but also from your understanding of of the modern game and you talked a little bit earlier about the the team goal is not winning championships it's to get better and to continuously improve you know we've seen goalkeeping as a position change where being able to play with your feet is now just table stakes and we're seeing an evolution where the the next level is you're actually you know, it almost looks like you're you're playing a, a video game of FIFA with some keepers where they're doing the old goalie rush and, and dribbling pretty far up the field to, to start the attack. What I want to know is in sort of a fast-paced environment where there is continuous innovation, where it's very competitive, everyone's trying to get better all the time, and the rewards for getting better are right in front of you, you know, in terms of being able to, to win each season and there are financial rewards associated with that. How do you continue to innovate and improve and, and make sure that you're leading innovation with players who are already successful? I'm a student of the game. I read about the game. I watch the game. I listen to podcasts. I follow people on social media that have, have an influence in the modern game. And I take pieces and I apply it to my own environment regularly. And I think the goalkeepers understand you know, you spoke about Caitlin knowing, saying that she has, I have knowledge of the modern game. I think she understands that I have knowledge because of the information and the feedback that I provide to her or provide to the other goalkeepers. If I wasn't able to do that, she wouldn't have that, that uh, information or wouldn't be able to say things, things like that about me. So I think the biggest thing for, for that is you have to be able to learn and, and adapt and, I always go back to someone who's one of the best leaders there's ever been, it's Sir Alex Ferguson. And the reason he was so successful over a long period of time is that he was able to adapt and learn and modernise his his ways, keep his style very similar, but modernise it to the new generations or, or new ways that the game's being played and new ways of thinking. And then he was able to implement it there afterwards. And I like to think that I can do it on a much smaller scale than, than Sir Alex. And I think the goalkeepers have a respect for me because of that. And transitioning from the professional players that you work with, you also work with the academy and, and youth players. And you've got a pathway. And, and obviously the goal with those players is to ultimately get them into the first team. But realistically, you know, you talked about in England, it's it's still hard in North America for and most players are not in the academy are not going to be professional soccer players. So you talk about your philosophy is the goal is to create winners. What does that mean to create a winner? And, and what does it mean in the context of sort of a holistic view of, of development where you're developing a, a person, not just a player? Yeah, I don't want to confuse mistaking a winner as someone that has to win championships or win on a weekend or win medals to be successful at anything. I want 
to create a person that has a mentality of winning that wants to be the best and wants to have a strive to win, whether it be at being the best goalkeeper in training or being the one that does the most to improve the most, whatever it may be, they just have to have that mentality. And it's a strong mentality that they need to have. But I revolve it around making sure that it's player-centred. My approach that I push to the coaches, it must be player-centred, it must be player-driven and it must be player-first. Because if it's not those three things, they won't buy into what we're trying to do by creating a winner. So whatever scale they are on within our our youth pathway, they might only get on, we talk about a goalkeeper pathway that goes all the way through from the our very young ones that are doing our elite technique goalkeeper programs as a, as a nine, 10 year old, or whether it's our junior goalkeepers that are even younger than that, that are six, seven, eight, that we're just doing the introductory phase to. There's going to be parts of the pathway where they can jump on and jump off. But what we want to do is we make sure that by the time they've ended their pathway, wherever it may be, whether it be at the pro team all the way through, or whether it be at a classic level, that we're constantly pushing the individual to be better. And it's very, very difficult because I don't have the contact with every single player within our within our program because we've got 300 goalkeepers. So my daily impact on those goalkeepers is actually quite small, but the impact that you can have on the staff that we have who do a phenomenal job, I must say, and then the impact they have on the players they're on is massive. And, and if they know that we have to be player-centred and we have to be player-driven and we have to be player-first, then the overall buy-in of everybody and the impact we have on all the individuals that we that we work with is now monumental rather than it just being one person we now have 14 people doing it and those 14 are it's dropping down and we have a, a drip down effect on everybody who's involved so i think that's the way that we strive to create winners and we strive to build young people wherever they may they may go whether it's college whether it's not college whether it's high school soccer whatever it may be that they want to be the best at whatever they do whether they, they are going to be the best or not, that's up to them. Um, but they have to have the mentality that they need to pursue their dreams or or their goals by working in a certain way. And is that the primary difference that you see between the players and the people who end up being successful, whether that's as a professional career or in soccer or just in their life achieving their goals is it that mentality of winning, that willingness to continue to work, to be resilient? I believe so. I think it's an intrinsic drive that people have. Some people have it and some people don't. And it's okay if you don't have it. But I think it helps certainly when you look at building success for yourself or building for somebody else. If you have a drive from within where you want to get better, and you, need, you want to do things that improve other people along the way, I think that helps you in ways to be successful. It's not the be all and end all. You have to have a skill set. You have to have an openness of, of developing. But I think it's a, it's a major, major part of being a, a successful person, yes. Is it just black or white? Either you have that intrinsic motivation or you don't, or can it be developed? And how do you develop it in your players? I think it can be developed. I honestly do. I think some people are born with it. There's no doubt about it. But I think it can be developed. If I look at myself as a as a player, I didn't have the the drive that was needed to be a long-term professional in the game. Not even close to having it. Then I met a couple of coaches when I first started coaching that did have that drive. And, and I saw the way that they worked on a, on a day-to-day basis and the way it impacted other people. And then 
from their coaching and the drive that they had, the influence had it had on their teams, on the individuals, whatever it may be. And I thought, you know what, I need to start working in the ways that these people do. So I think it can be developed and, and you can be influenced into doing certain things at a higher level. For me, it's it's definitely been developed. It's not something that I've always had. I have parents that have the drive without a shadow of a doubt, but it wasn't always in me at all. So it's definitely been developed. It's been something that other people have brought out of me as well. How you relate that back to kids to make sure that they've got it. I think if they see the work ethic that you have, if I look at my goalkeepers that I work with predominantly within the youth setup, and they're anywhere from 13 to, to 19 at the minute who I work with. And I think they see how much I put into their, their development as, as goalkeepers and as people. And I think that they see the drive that I have and they know that, all right, this is what the expectation is. We're going to try and fulfil his expectations by working in a certain way. Not all of them have it. Some of them need it, a kick up the backside and said, you need to do a little bit more. But I think they're learning how to have this drive and trying to do more things that can help improve them. I think it's players pick up on it just by the way that you work. And, and I think you can influence people massively if you go above and beyond for them or for yourself. And then looking at your own work, how do you evaluate personally whether your own work is continuously improving? It's the hardest part, you know, I've had role models throughout. I've been lucky to work with some really top leaders and top coaches, and those have all put me in good stead to, to be where I am now. But I think the way I evaluate if I'm successful or if my work is good enough is the impact it's had on, on players. Do I see goalkeepers progressing? Do I see personalities changing? I think of two people that when I first started working with them, one young female, I won't mention their names, one young female, one young male, the male was this extreme introvert that really struggled in social dynamics. And the time we've spent the last two years together on a daily basis, and I think I've helped him be a different type of person. Not that he's an extrovert, because he's still not. He's still very much an introvert, but he's grown and he's blossomed as a young as a young boy. And he's no longer quite he's no longer as sheltered as he was, and he's more open to conversation, interaction, and he's taking steps in the right direction. So I, I gauge my work off of that piece whether he's got better as a goalkeeper or not is irrelevant that should happen anyway because I'm a coach and if he's not getting better I'm not doing my job but he's if he's getting better in certain other ways then that tells me that whatever I'm doing is right for him and then there's another one who who has developed as a soccer player has always been had this big personality there's been no doubt about it but she's developed as a goalkeeper and, and progressed monumentally over the last 18 months and excelling so then I, I look at both and I'm saying well okay well I must be doing something right here and I must be doing something right here two different types of of coaching and teaching but two very impactful ones I'm not the answer to all of their success because it's 95 percent of it is down to them the rest of it is down to the people they surround themselves with so unfortunately I, I get to be one of them so I would gauge it for the what impact I'm having on the individuals is how I gauge my success of work that I'm providing. And in that sort of player development approach, you, you just completed preseason. You're about to start the season, but we're we're living in some surreal times with, with COVID-19. How are your players coping and, and what are you telling them? <sighs> I don't know if they are coping. Listen, they're, they're probably in much better situations than a lot of people are currently. 
it's tough because you take people that are that want to be outside and want to be on the field and then tr- and then take all that away from them and trap them up in a room they obviously get anxious because they want to do certain things it's very difficult to to train individually especially as a goalkeeper because you need someone there to provide service for you most of the time but we've provided them with with daily training sessions with the pro team they get training sessions every single day whether it be a workout or a technical session that they must fulfill or or, or a run that they must that they must complete with the youth side we created a package for them that had everything from diet to sleep to overall wellness of an athlete to training sessions that they could do on their own, training sessions they could do with a, with another individual, how to look after themselves properly and how to control the body whilst being away from the field. Whether they all use it or not, we I don't know. It's, that, that's up to them. And then we just check in with them every, every couple of days just to make sure that everything's okay. We've set up other things that are game analysis stuff that gets their brain thinking a little bit more about the game rather than just fitness or technical ability, then having to think in a different way and their mindset has to has to revolve around the game still, but they still have to think in a different way rather than just playing soccer and then they're watching it and evaluating it and analysing it and then giving us feedback, which is also important. I think it just triggers the brain in a different way. So there are multiple things that we've put together for, for the players. It's not going to have as much of an impact as it would do if we were with them every single day, but I think we've definitely given them the most that we possibly can at this time to make sure that they're getting something from this. Yeah, I would say that it sounds like the strategy is be resilient. Make sure, you know, you've got people who have that mentality and so have some confidence that that they're going to be able to get through it. Also, maintain some normalcy. Do what you can that makes you feel normal. And also look at the opportunity to, to do some things differently, to learn something new. Those three components are important to, to all of us right now to try and get through these times. Yeah. If they can do something different that they've not done previously, it's going to help and educate them, whether it's reading a book about something that they're not very understanding of or, or whether it's picking up the phone and speaking to someone that they've not spoke to for a long time. I think either one is a great tool to have and to use in this moment in time for sure thanks so much for your time today nathan really a pleasure to connect with you and and enjoy the discussion thank you very much anytime thank you for joining us today on the beautiful game we hope you also have some new ideas and inspiration to live work and play better please subscribe to get future episodes and you can join the conversation with your host tony niccolo on twitter at weasels fc 